Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I know what you're saying. You're going, hang on a minute. It's, it's Wednesday. Why is there an Arscast on a Wednesday? But we're still in that weird Christmassy New Year schedule thing where Premier League games are happening every day, basically. And I think last night's game against Newcastle was... An important one, obviously, a big game, and thus I think it merits some discussion in podcast terms. Ordinarily, maybe we might have done an extra Arscast Extra, but James is not available for that. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you after the FA Cup game against Oxford on Monday night, so that will be Tuesday morning to do that particular Arscast Extra. In the meantime, though, I think... The nil-nil draw against Newcastle was, in the cold light of day, quite an interesting game to look back on because I think my opinion at the final whistle is different from my opinion now. Like, I thought we played pretty well. I think it was a, a decent performance. But having written about it on the blog this morning, having thought about it a bit more, looked at some of the highlights again... I do feel like we were, if not unlucky, certainly the team that looked much more likely to win that game against the Newcastle side who, despite what Mikel Arteta intimated about the way that our approach forced them into a certain style, I think they came with that style. This was their plan to sit deep, to deny Arsenal space in behind because they know that Saka, Martinelli, Eddie and Kedia, etc. can hurt you if you leave them that space. So they they didn't give us any and then they looked to hit us on either the break or by lumping all their big men into the box uh, from set pieces. And, you know, that was evident in the way that they took free kicks from the halfway line. It wasn't a case that they kept possession. They just, right, let's get it into the box. It was like Sunday league stuff in a way, but they're very well organized. Organized, well-disciplined, set up very well, and you can see why they haven't conceded a lot of goals so far this season. So I do think it's a game that merits some further examination, and with me to do so from The Athletic, it's Art de Rocher. Hi, Art. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me again. I hope uh, everyone's doing well, and everyone's New Year's kind of went as they hoped. That's cool. <laughs> you always uh, kick off with the nicest greetings to the listeners. I really appreciate <laughs> that. I'm sure they do too. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they um, find it all right. Obviously, I know... Like, it's just us talking, but there are actually people listening. So I'd like to kind of acknowledge that as soon as I can. Connect with them. That's good. <laughs> You're very conscientious. We are going to talk about the nil-nil draw with Newcastle last night. And it was a you know big game, this one. A very important game. It's first against third. Um, I guess a sort of first against third scenario that not many people would have predicted before the start of the season, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, but also from a Newcastle perspective as well. Mm. Um, 
we were talking just briefly before you came on, and uh, I have to um, I have to say that I share some of what you said in the sense that there was a, a sort of nervousness, a tension. Like I found myself extremely invested in this game in a way that I haven't really felt too often this season. I just wonder, you know, what you would put that down to from your side, because, you know, clearly as the season goes on and the title race that we're in heats up, you know, the stakes get higher and you feel like every game becomes more and more important. But do you think that's down to the overall context or was it something specific to Newcastle and and the way maybe they approach this game? I think it was maybe a little bit of a mixture of both. Obviously the stakes going into the game, everybody (laughs) knew what they were, Mm. but then also as the game kind of, um, started off I think what made it very Newcastle specific was they were making Arsenal work and I don't think a lot of teams have done that in the same way this season where I think throughout the year Arsenal have looked very composed and um, almost as if they were just not going through the motions but they knew what they were doing and it was almost like second nature they knew which pass to make at which time Whereas you could see with how aggressive Newcastle were in terms of just, okay, we're, we're going to push forward. So Aaron Ramsdale's going to have to make a second deci- decision when the ball comes to him. Uh, we're going to block that kind of, um, uh, that area on the pitch where Zinchenko likes to drift into so that Arsenal have to make a few um, other decisions uh, that they might not usually have to. And I think that's where the tension really kind of uh, kicked in for me because <laughs> you could see it was a busy game, mm. very busy. Um, and to be fair, I thought Arsenal dealt with it well. Um, it was just, I think you saw once they got into that final third, it was almost just a, a matter of inches um, that they were off by um, in terms of that final pass or just missing um mm missing the ball and stuff like that. So not um not too not too frustrating, but yeah, very tense. The I have some thoughts on that actually, you know, how close it came and and you know, in the cold light of day, having looked at the game again and looked at some highlights and, and everything else, there are a few observations I have on that. But what did you make of what Mikel Arteta said after the game? When he was asked quite specifically, you know, what what are Arsenal gonna do in games like this now, because I think there is a, a sense when you're top of the league, when you're playing really well, when you've got devastating forwards like Saka and Martinelli, when you've got the ability to hurt teams in behind, it makes a lot of sense for teams to play in a similar way to the way Newcastle did yesterday. They're sort of compact, organized, they deny you space, they double up on the men. You know, at times they were tripling up on Bakayo Saki. You know, there was um, a moment early on when Dan Byrne got left one-on-one with Saki, absolutely roasted him, and, and they they didn't really let that happen again. So I think it's common sense that teams are going to approach games in, in that kind of a way. Mikel Arteta was asked about it afterwards on Sky. And he said, I don't think Newcastle wanted to set up like this. This is not how they play. They haven't played like this against any other team. So credit to our players. And I kind of know what he's getting at there because the the, the theme throughout the interview was how proud he was of his team. He kept saying that over and over again about how proud he was. 
But I sort of disagree with him because I do think this is the way Newcastle came to play. They have played differently against other teams, but I think they recognize the particular threat of Arsenal, of the team that's that's top of the table. So what did you make of those comments? I know Arteta wants to give maybe his version of it, but I think Newcastle's approach was pretty obvious to me. Yeah, it was very manager talk. <laughs> uh, you you hear that a lot, I think. You, even when, if we talk about uh, Arsenal women, um, Jonas Ederval, I, f- I remember him saying something very similar um, a couple of months ago when Arsenal women, they were in control of the game, but they just couldn't break through. And I guess it is a compliment in a way, but it's your job to kind of figure out... Um, how to to break that down. And I think for me, it was a really difficult one um, because once it got to half time, my immediate kind of thought was, okay, get Kieran Tierney on. Um, but then the second half starts and Zinchenko is actually the one who's mm. probably the most influential player. So um, yeah, it was quite um, a difficult one to figure out because I guess my my initial kind of reaction was get more... I guess, I guess you call it support for the wide players when they're out wide. Mm. Um, so you saw, as you mentioned, Newcastle um, were getting Joe Willock to kind of help uh, Dan Byrne double up, and sometimes they were tripling up on Saka. And then you saw uh, on Arsenal's left, Martinelli was always having to cut back onto his right, which mm. Newcastle could deal with. So I was kind of thinking along the lines of just get a bit more width, mm. but. I guess you may also look at it as if was that almost Arteta sending a message to to the high, um, to the guys a bit <laughs> higher higher above him because he had he had Fabio Vieira on the bench didn't didn't um, didn't even look like he thought about bringing him on mm. um, and I think just one sub in the whole game and it was at right back uh, which was understandable at the time and yeah I just think. Um, it obviously wasn't the the worst circumstances ever, mm-hmm. but drop points are drop points. And I think <laughs> if you're looking at it, um, you can probably look at it in the literal sense of, okay, Newcastle had set up that way. But also if you, you maybe read between the lines a little bit, you could probably see a few subtle kind of messages there as well, I think. Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, the... The fact that Newcastle haven't conceded a goal in, is it six games now? You know, that's not by coincidence or anything like that. They're obviously a very well-drilled unit. We saw that in the way that they played. You know, they were essentially a very rich Tony Pulis era Stoke last night. And I think that was very, I think that was a very specific approach. Yeah. And you could take it as a compliment in a way that they recognize how dangerous Arsenal can be and have been throughout the season. So this was their way of of dealing with it. Um you mentioned the substitutions, and I think this is a this is an interesting uh, thing because you know we can talk about substitutions and then it feeds into what we might talk about in, in terms of the, the transfer market. So you mentioned it, so let's go there. You know, there 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 were few options from an attacking perspective on the bench last night. I don't necessarily think that his reluctance to use Fabio Vieira says as much about Fabio Vieira as it does about the context of this game. Yeah. Because 
Newcastle were able to introduce fresh legs. I can't remember how many subs Newcastle made. Probably three or four. They took off two forwards, put on another two forwards. They took off Joe Willock. They were able to put on San Maximan. You know, they were able to add those fresh legs. In this circumstance, I was thinking about Fabio Vieira as well. But then I was thinking, where Mm. do you put Fabio Vieira? Who comes off for Fabio Vieira in this game? Is it Saka? I don't think so. Is it Martinelli? I don't think so, because these are guys who can produce you something. I don't think Martin Odegaard had his best game, but given what he's produced so far this season, you could kind of understand why he would stick with that. Granit Xhaka, I think he became quite important in the last 15, 20 minutes. So I think the lack of substitutions was in some part because we didn't have much on the bench, but also because what we did have on the bench wasn't necessarily going to change the game in a significant way. And after what happened against Brighton, when he did make changes and those changes did destabilize the team a little bit, albeit from a very good position at at 4-1 up, I think he was reluctant to make changes because of that as well. Yeah, I think when I mentioned um, Fabio Vieira, the the point I was more trying to make was like, if you're looking at, I guess, the profile of player on that bench, mm. um, there wasn't really someone who jumped out as um, a different option to, to yeah. what was already there. Um, obviously, when uh, Emil Smith-Rowe is back, you'll have at least one more of those. Um, and then... If if they are able to kind of find a, a happy middle ground of Shakhtar, um, I think what you saw was missing yesterday in terms of just being that like inches away from making something happen. Mm. You probably get closer because um, obviously no one's going to have watched every single Mikhailo Mudrić game ever. But I think it's very uh, I clear. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I'd say this: <laughs> some of the Arsenal, yeah. uh, the way Arsenal fans can be, they've examined every yeah. minute of every game to, to yeah. see if they but can I get the hints. I think what is very clear from almost every kind of clip you see is he's very electric and mm. is very sharp. And that's actually, I think that was the, the word uh, Arteta used in the post-match with Sky. He said they lacked sharpness in the final third. And I think um, just having someone who makes quick decisions would, would make, would have made yesterday, I think a lot different because again, even when you saw um, how, how they were playing in midfield, it just seemed a bit too slow sometimes. Um, and I think if, if they were able to quicken that up, they probably could have um, been or had a bit more joy. Mm. I mean, I think attacking depth is is an area that concerns all of us. You know, in the absence of Gabriel Jesus, Eddie Nketiah, I think, you know, he didn't score last night, but I think this was probably Eddie's best game of the three that he played. Mm. Uh, I thought he worked really hard. I thought some of his movement was excellent. There was a great run um, where he set up Granite Xhaka. And I think this was in the first half. And I think Xhaka was caught between making a pass to Saka and taking a shot. Yeah. In cold light of day, I think he will um, regret the fact that he didn't take a pop, you know. Um, there was the, the chance laid on, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, uh, the front three have played 90 minutes against Brighton three days ago. They played 90 minutes again last night. I don't think this is as much about the individual quality of those players because I think they've all contributed in a really positive way. 
But if you are aspirational when it comes to the Premier League title, you do need fresh legs. You need to be able to rotate your your forward line a little bit. You need because you know, like the con the 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 way Newcastle defended, some might some people might think that's easy. You just sit off and but it's really difficult when you don't have the ball. A lot of concentration <laughs> takes a lot of energy. Um, you know, you can get a little bit weary. That's when lapses happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can add something different in the final third, in the final 15, 20 minutes of games like this, particularly these games, which are yeah. so tight, that can often be the difference between one point and, and three points. So again, I don't think Arteta was sending a message to anybody about what we have and don't have on the bench. Like this is not... This is not news to them. This is not a yeah. revelation to them after this game. Like, oh, you know what? We actually could do with some <laughs> players because, you know, they've bid twice for Mudrik. We know they've got some interest in, in Zhao Felix, if that can happen, if the numbers, you know, aren't too crazy. So there's a good reason why they're, they're eyeing up these players. They know themselves that in circumstances like this, something different, something fresh, something new from the bench is often the difference between, you know, no points and a point or a point and three points. And I think you saw it a little bit last season um, where, okay, going into that kind of late season run-in, there were games where I think Wolves away, uh, West Ham away as well, where you saw how slim those margins could be because mm. Arsenal didn't play particularly well in either game. But it was those set-piece goals that kind of got them three points instead of one mm. on the day. So I think increasingly over over time you're um seeing how valuable just having those little extra margins can be um obviously last year was the difference between uh europa league and champions league this year it's a bit different mm. but i think when when you sense that you've got you got to smell blood basically and go go for it and i think going into the second half of the year what what's been encouraging in the first half has been there's been consistent themes that have made Arsenal um, as strong as they have been. Now you may just need a little bit of something a bit more unique, um, mm. something that not every team has to get you over the line. And I think um, hopefully uh, that's what Arsenal could add in, in um, this month. I mean, do, do you worry that there might be a danger that, you know, having gone through not the first half of the season, I think we're still not quite at the halfway point in terms of mm. games played. We're almost there, but not quite. But there is an element of, um, well, Arsenal aren't a surprise anymore. What Arsenal are doing, I think in, uh, you know, in the opening half of the season, you would hear commentators, you'd hear pundits going, well, this is, you know, this is something I wasn't really <coughs> expecting from Arsenal. But, um, Nobody can be blind to what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. So do you think that in order to offset more teams coming to play like Newcastle, uh, you know, more teams are going to come and, and say, well, you know, we, we literally can't go out and push out and play with a high line against Arsenal. Because you play with a high line against Arsenal. Look at what Martinelli did against Brighton. You know, we have that in our locker. Saka and Ketty as well can do it. Martin Odegaard. You know, these guys can really hurt you when you leave space. So it is going to change the way other teams play against Arsenal. And so there is a need for Arsenal to 
to react to that because, you know, if we're talking about it on a fucking podcast, it's definitely <laughs> something that Mikel Arteta and Edu will have thought about when they look at the fixtures for the rest of this season. Yeah, I think there will be an element of that. And it, I don't think Newcastle were the first team to do that either. You saw how West Ham set up um, on Boxing Day. Obviously not as effective, yeah. but they tried to do something similar. And to be fair to Arsenal, they they were in control for all of the first half. And I think the only real difference in the second half was they were a lot quicker in what they were doing. And um, that is what kind of got them... Uh, to obviously there was a slice of <laughs> massive luck with the first goal, but um, you saw that they were really creating chances. Um, so I don't think it's going to be an issue every time Arsenal uh, face an approach like that. Mm. But also I think you see the importance of having options across the pitch, not just in those attacking areas, because you have different options that you can play at fullback. You can either go with um, Tierney at left back, who's obviously going to, he's inverted more recently, but he will like to get um, around the outside. Then you've got someone who's a bit different to Ben White and Tommy Asu, who likes to tuck in a bit more and gives you Mm. probably more, I guess more of a connection like, or combination play between himself, Erdegaard and Saka. Mm-hmm. So that's a triangle that could work a bit more with him in there. Um, so yeah, I think it's about having, um, yeah, variety across the pitch, really, not just those areas that we've, we and probably everyone else has spoken about um, because it, it just feels like you can't afford to, to go stale in what you're doing. No. Um, and I don't think Arsenal will do because across the first 17 league games, what was struck me most is, yes, the, the themes are consistent, but they're also good enough to kind of um, get past, I guess, the, the obstacles when teams know that as mm-hmm. well. Um and that's kind of what's been another encouraging um, kind of sign from the first 17 games. Teams may may have a plan for Arsenal, but Arsenal have been able to show their superiority um, with their own plan A. Yeah. And I think you mentioned Smith Rowe a bit earlier on. I think he, as well as somebody who gives you a bit of extra variety in, in the mm. wide areas and, and maybe in central areas, if he can come into the team, you know, another option... Um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be before he can start Premier League games. He needs some minutes under his belt, but certainly off the bench, he is a guy who has been effective and last season scored a number of goals off the bench. And then, of course, you know, if you can do something in the transfer market, if you can bring in Mudrik, if you can bring in, I don't know, if they've got their eye on somebody other than Zhao Felix. I mean, the, the numbers of that one make me very dubious because it's just a huge investment for five months of service. Um I, I think most clubs in the world would, would turn that one down. But, you know, do they have their eye on somebody else? Is there somebody else they can bring in who could give the team a bit more variety? And there are basically 10, 10 days to go before, more than 10 days, I think, before our next Premier League game, which is the uh, the North London Derby. So there is time to, to address those. But going back to last night and, and the game, when Mikel Arteta talked about 
you know, lacking that little bit of sharpness. I do think there's fine margins in this game. There are some fine yeah. margins, some moments where, you know, we really could have caused Newcastle problems. The best new, new ca- uh, Newcastle chance I can remember is the header from Joe Linton at the end of the, the first half. Little bit of an escape, it's fair to say. But from an Arsenal perspective, when I was looking back at it, Martin Odegaard had a good shot in, well, had a good opportunity, which I would have expe- uh, expected him to do better with early in the half. Bakayo Saka, that moment I talked about where he ran past Dan Byrne, uh, keeper squared it, or keeper got away with his feet, could easily have just hit his heel and gone in or squirted to somebody in the box. Um, there was the Gabriel header from a corner, which just landed beyond the post. And I think the goalkeeper was beaten there. The way he was moving, it, it looked like he was he was pretty much beaten. There was the Shaka one I mentioned earlier on where he probably should have had a shot. Eddie Nketiah, you know, forced a keeper into a save, uh, you know, with his feet again, late, really sharp movement, good turn in the box from Eddie. Again, it's one of those where a couple of inches, it goes between the goalkeeper's legs and it's, you know, it's one nil. We're talking about things in a different way. Gabriel Martinelli had a header as well, if you remember, that went just wide of, of the far post and I know we're going to talk about the penalties uh, penalty incidents as well but you know those incidents from open play on a night where perhaps we didn't play as well as we would have liked where we weren't quite as sharp in the final third I think there were still moments that could have you know tilted that game in Arsenal's favor pretty pretty easily I think that's the big word moments Mm. because you saw if if we just look back to the Brighton game um, I remember when I was writing like post-match stuff um obviously when i was looking at the game i thought okay arsenal were brave when they had to be they were composed when they had to be and then they also had a little bit of luck when they needed it Mm. and i don't i didn't say that as something to demean them Mm -hmm. or anything like that i just think you saw in moments if mitoma's left leg is ahead of his right leg he's onside Mm. um and there are a few other moments i can't think of right now but then you flip it over here and the luck's just not on Arsenal's side um you mentioned a lot of chances there where say if Martin Odegaard's connection is better if Granite Jack and Granite Xhaka's connection yeah. is better if someone's uh going into the back post for Martinelli's yeah. flick on which there usually is someone going in yeah, at the yeah back there post. is yeah um so it's these little moments where I think you see just how important every little detail becomes, mm-hmm. um, especially when the pressure's on. And I think that's where, um, when when you're kind of going into these big matches, and it doesn't just have to be teams who are in and around you. It's ba- basically, every game is a big match now for Arsenal. Mm. And the fact they're in that position is very good. But you, you also need those moments to go for you um, when... Uh, I guess you've taken care of all the controllables. You need the um, things you can't control to kind of fall your way. Yeah. And I think it is a measure of how well Arsenal have played this season or how well this season has gone, that there is such frustration, which I get, I understand, because we all feel it. We all feel the tension. We all know how high the stakes are. But it's a nil-nil draw against a team that is in third place in the league. We haven't lost. They haven't conceded in fucking 5,000 hours, whatever it is. And we just haven't been able to break them down by small margins. But I think that tells us plenty about the way Arsenal have, have done this season and how well we've played, that the level is high, the standards are high, what people expect is is really high. And I'm sure that's true of the players and Mikel Arteta as well, that they'll feel, um, they'll feel that frustration. So... 
you know, I think Arsenal played pretty well last night. I, I don't really have any huge issues with the performance. There are nights where you can say, oh, we really were below par there. I don't think that was the case. I just think it was a difficult game against difficult opposition that we didn't quite manage to do enough in. Um, so it's not like uh, everyone has to go crazy about it. Speaking of going crazy, though, um, <laughs> Mikel Arteta, <laughs> Mikel Arteta was like a whirling dervish on the sidelines. He was um, he was very adamant after the game that there were two penalties and should have been two penalties in in Arsenal's favour. The one late in the game, I sort of. If that had happened up the other end and Newcastle had got a penalty, I would be very unhappy with that because it's from really close range. I know he turns his body, but it's not like he's waving his arms all over the place. They're sort of out, but, you know, you have to turn. You have to balance. Mm. And I think the proximity of that one means that it would have been a pretty harsh penalty. Like, I would be furious if that had been given against Arsenal because I'd be like, what do you want the guy to do? Yeah. The other one, though... I think in the context of the way that this game was refereed is really frustrating because Eddie and Keddie got a, I think, a soft yellow card for just sort of putting an arm across. I think it was Fabian Schar. Martin Odegaard got a yellow card for a very obvious shirt pull, right? So on the basis that he'd booked Eddie for something less, he had literally no choice but to book Odegaard for a, a more cynical, egregious foul. So I've got no complaints about those two. Well, I do have complaints, but I just think I'm trying to put them in the context, right? So on that basis, when Dan Byrne has got Gabrielle's shirt and he's reefed it around his neck in the penalty box, as he's trying to go for the ball, I, I cannot understand how that is not a penalty. And on that one, I absolutely understand Mikel Arteta's fury, frustration, anger, whatever you want to call it. He called the decision scandalous. Two scandalous penalties, he said afterwards. And and I get it. Tensions are high after the game. Himself and Eddie Howe were having a bit of a row on the on the pitch. And, you know, I, I'm not one who falls for Eddie Howe's fake Boy Scout, you know, innocent face. I think there's a cynical guy in there because you kind of have to be if you're a football manager. But what did you make of those penalty incidents? I think it just showed there was a real lack of control on on the game from from the referee because you look at how that first half went of I think it was not till probably just 20 22 minutes the first booking was made and then after that it seemed like every foul was a book <laughs> yeah, yeah there was a flurry of yellow cards all right yeah yeah and I just um it almost seemed like uh the the decisions were made depending on the mood um, at that moment, rather mm. than what actually had happened. Um, that Eddie yellow card, I have no idea how that's a yellow card. No, um, so I, I know he makes the kind of gesture to pull back, but it's hardly, it's hardly a touch really. Mm. Um, and then I know <laughs> he may not be the most um, popular guy, but Gary Neville afterwards saying, obviously the point about uh, the, the club sponsor, on the front being all the way up to your shoulder. <laughs> That's probably probably an indicator of what the decision should be. And I just mm. feel like um, when when you see how that, that game was refereed, not just the, the first half, it was almost allowed to, to spill into a more toxic is the wrong word, but 
a, just a more scrappy affair than it should have been. Mm. Um, because again, it plays into that whole tension thing. Um, when, uh, when you're almost able to be influenced so easily and so often, I just feel like you, you lack any real consistency. And that's, that's what everyone's looking for in those decisions, consistency. Um, so yeah, I think, I kind of agree with you. At the moment, I did feel the second one was a penalty. But oh, I wanted I it. I wanted it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely wanted it. But <laughs> That's because I was watching from home. And I was, um, again, was, I think it's that whole thing. The tension's built for 90 minutes. And you're just, you're just there. You want anything. And you shout for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in looking back, I think the first one was much more kind of likely Um or a stronger appeal, I should say. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Gabrielle uh, tweeted the video clip of it as well afterwards. I'm not sure if you saw. No, so, I didn't see that. No. <laughs> um, hopefully, he doesn't get too. <laughs> hopefully, he doesn't get reprimanded too much for that. Um, as we know, he's quite vocal on Twitter. But yeah, um, yeah I think first one uh, you can probably feel hard done by, and then the second one is a bit more understandable. But I, I, again, yeah. it all just comes down to that having control of the game mm. but i mean you mentioned consistency and i think that's i think that's probably part of what frustrated Mikel arteta as well because i think we've yeah. seen penalties like that given this season mm. the the handball rightly or wrongly we've seen them given therefore if you don't get one when you've seen another team get a similar penalty you're you're going to be annoyed and they were talking on sky um, about how now VAR is being asked to take a light touch, I think is the phrase that they used. Yeah. Something like that, where they've obviously raised the threshold for VAR's involvement. And look, we we were given the benefit of a VAR decision against Brighton the other day, as you mentioned, the Matoma offside. Those are black and white, though. You know, yeah. it's either offside or it's not offside. These are sort of subjective decisions. And it feels... I don't know, like, if you're going to implement changes, implement them at the start of the season yeah. to sort of change the, not the rules, but the way you 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 referee certain decisions midway through a season when everybody's got used to them being refereed another way. It just feeds into the frustration that, that fans, not just Arsenal fans, I think a lot of fans of clubs, of Premier League clubs, will feel like the referee standards are not where they should be the pgmol is not fit for purpose and that by doing something mid-season introducing somebody howard webb has come back in as the chief referees officer and this is apparently down to him saying you should take a lighter touch when it comes to these var decisions you know it's no wonder people go mad you can't make that change well we 15 well yeah they probably made it 15 games into the year Mm. Because as you mentioned earlier, teams who got those decisions, um, say on week match day one, um, will benefit from it. And then teams who don't get mm. those decisions on what we match day 18 are going to be rightly frustrated about that, I think. And it just, you see over what, what we almost four years into, I guess you'd call it the VAR era. Yeah. Um, if we're still talking about it now in this way, what's the point? I know, I know it has obviously had a, an effect and given and taken away goals um, rightly and wrongly at times. 
But if we're still looking for that kind of black and white line mm. four years in, when I don't feel like there's as many problems in other countries with it, I just, I don't really understand how, um, how you kind of move it on. Mm. Uh, if you're still struggling to kind of get that, that line. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, I think the fact, yeah, you mentioned it's being brought in halfway through the season. I, I still can't get my head around that. No. It's really confusing. Um, and you look at how, say, just to make it even more confusing, <laughs> um, how uh, additional time was done at the World Cup. And then you come back to club football and it's not that way. I know it's more topical now because of uh, the additional time at the end of the game last night. But d that's another one where I know they usually trial things at major tournaments in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, but again, because it's a winter World Cup, was it the best time to trial that? I don't know. Because then you're going to have people asking that question sure. for the rest of the entire season. Um, so yeah, it just seems like the timing on certain things could be much, much better. And I mean, if almost everyone could see that, apart from the people who are running it, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going yeah. on. I mean, the five minutes at the end felt short. <laughs> and I, I realize that there's a context to that. Like, you know, you want extra added time when you're desperately <laughs> seeking a goal. But on the basis of that second half, the stoppages, players going down, players cramping up, substitutions being made, all that kind of stuff. I felt five minutes was was a little bit short. Um, and it sort of played into the way that, that Newcastle approached the game. They, you know, they time-wasted. And look, I, I if we're 1-0 up and we're time-wasting all over the place, I've got no issue with it at all. So it's all to do with your own, own perspective on that. Mm. But um, yeah, it wasn't quite enough for us to get the to get the goal and to pick up the three points last night. I don't want to turn this into a into a refereeing um screed or, or a sort of diatribe about referees. It's just like you, and I'm sure many people listening, I, I do find it confusing that the goalposts can be changed um, mid-season. Finally, though, do you think, despite the frustration, this is the kind of result that Mikel Arteta will in the cold light of day be relatively positive about because he is working with a short squad. He knows he's working with a short squad. He doesn't have the changes. And his team, I think Arsenal, despite the Joe Linton chance at the end of the half, I think Arsenal were the team that looked more likely to win this. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to do the like, you know, in seasons past, this is a game we would have <laughs> lost. But I do feel like that there is a bit more resilience to this team that it did feel like, I don't know if this went through your mind, but the phrase sucker punch went through my mind more than once last night, particularly when Newcastle get a couple of late corners, a couple of late free kicks, and, and you know, we know what they're going to do with them. Um, but there wasn't really that danger from from Newcastle. And I think, you know, we, we dealt defensively pretty well with, with everything they had to, to throw at us. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'd use the word positive i think i might just go with more like a realistic kind of view okay um obviously he knows we know what arsenal have at the minute um and i just think what's probably more important is 
again, I guess, if you're looking at it in the context of where Arsenal are, personally, I almost, similar to the Southampton game, it felt like a loss. Um, And I know it it was far from a loss, Mm. but I think you almost need to feel that way um, to make sure it doesn't become like a, a slide into into um, just mediocrity almost. Because I, I think it was quite interesting that they had Les Ferdinand on Sky and obviously he was involved in the whole Newcastle title race in the 90s and mm. Gary Neville actually asked him what did it feel like when he dropped points and he said that they didn't really feel that hurt by it, that they just thought, okay, we will make that up in the next game. Mm. And you can't really feel like that because then you're almost in a complacent kind of place where you feel almost like you have a right to win. Um, And I think what's really important, obviously it helps that the next Premier League game is the North London derby. Um, But I just think you, you almost need to be wired into that mindset of every pass means something every tackle means something you can't really I don't think you can look back on the Newcastle game and think oh okay it's fine we drop points we'll get them in the Mm. next game because you don't know if you will get them in the next game so that's kind of my my biggest kind of takeaway just don't um don't take I guess a draw for granted because draws can kill you whether that's going in for um a Europa League race a Champions League race or a title race draws draws kill you um so hopefully um that's kind of the attitude going forward but who knows who knows if it is all right well look we know what the mantra has been throughout the season it's been one game at a time they just focus on the next game and the next game whether it goes well or whether it goes not quite as well and look we haven't had too many games where it hasn't gone as well as we would like so um i I think they'll be able to compartmentalize this and and you know uh go again obviously we've got an fa cup game against oxford next monday but then the big one the north london derby coming up in the premier league after that so let's hope they're ready to go art as always a pleasure to talk to you thank you very much thanks for having me and hopefully people enjoy (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure they'll let us know Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Art. You can find him writing about Arsenal on The Athletic and on Twitter. He is at Art DeRoche, at Art DeRoche. So, That's just about that for this episode. I know there is some frustration out there. Nevertheless, I do think an eight-point gap as it stands at the top of the table is still not to be sniffed at. 
Manchester City play Chelsea on Thursday evening, so we've got to keep fingers crossed that they kick the absolute fuck out of each other and maybe a Chelsea win or even a draw would be a good result for us. So let's see what happens there. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with the podcast schedule for the rest of the week. Maybe we'll have something on Friday, maybe not. But this extra cast, of course, fulfills the quota for the week. Let's see what happens. Maybe we'll have some, some more transfer news or at least some more concrete transfer news. Anyway, let's play it by ear. For now, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for being here and we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Talk to you a bit later then, yeah? No, I just got a couple of errands to run. No, I've got to go B&Q by kitchen table. Remember? Yeah, we talked about it last night. Yeah, so that's where I'm going. I'll talk to you later. All right, darling. Bye, 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 bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. And there is breaking transfer news as we speak. Chelsea are in talks with B&Q over kitchen table. Owner Todd Bowley is desperate to gazump Steve from Hertfordshire and Kitchen Table could be the latest addition to the squad after he beat Brian from Kings Lynn to a dash cam in Halfords and 83-year-old Ethel from Western Supermare who missed out on the last box of tea bags in her local shop when Bowley spent £42 million. Coming up after the break, Jamie O'Hara tells us why he will give Antonio Conte a new 17-year deal. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.